Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Football is back, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your football betting needs this season. You'll find the latest odds, matchup info, player news, and game trends. And as your continued source for all sports wagering info, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, live scores, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events like MLB, MMA, tennis, boxing, and even golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code BELIEVE to receive your rewards. BetOnline, where the game starts. This is Lock It In, a sports betting show. Part of the Believe Podcast Network. And now, here's your host, Cam Rogers. Welcome into Lock It In with Cam Rogers, part of Believe. I am Cam Rogers. I have you covered for the next hour as I discuss Thursday night football. Commanders and Bears. Taylor Davis will join me, college football reporter, talk some college football. Big week in CFB this weekend. NFL Week 6 picks. I will predict every single NFL game right here on the program. And then my best bets for this week's PGA Tour event, the Zozo Championship in Japan. So I will get to that as well. Full hour of Cam Rogers, lock it in content. Let's get to it. Thursday night football preview, Commanders and Bears. This one is a pick as we stand. The return of Brian Robinson is just nothing short of amazing. Truly remarkable. He looked good last week, too, in the game for the Commanders. So I think we're going to see a lot more of Brian Robinson as the weeks go on, less so of Antonio Gibson. I really do expect the commanders to really focus on the ground game in this matchup. The Bears stink at stopping opposing rushing attacks. And then you have Carson Wentz. The less Carson Wentz throws the football, the better for the commanders. So I think the game plan is... Run the Rock with Brian Robinson, Antonio Gibson, J.D. McKissick. Play action off of that. Play good defense against this Bears offense that is just absolutely horrible. Washington is 7-1 and one straight up in its last eight games against Chicago. This one will not be exciting, though. Let's be frank. Both teams rank outside the top 20 in points per game, yards per play, and giveaways. So if you managed to watch this entire football game, kudos to you. 
Commanders win this game over the Chicago Bears. I cannot trust Chicago and the lack of aerial attack right now on that side of the ball. The Commanders have been pretty competitive for most of the season. The Bears have too, but I like Washington to get it done in this matchup. Brian Robinson has a great game. Washington wins on the road. There you go. My Thursday night football preview. Follow me on Twitter at Mr. Rogers 99 and on Instagram at Mr. Rogers 98. Plenty of more lock it in to come right here on the program. Coming up next, Taylor Davis previews college football for this weekend and for the college football playoff. Keep it right here. Lock it in with Cam Rogers. And joining me now on Lock It In with Cam Rogers is college football reporter and host of Believe in Everything Auburn with, of course, Jason Campbell, Taylor Davis, jumping on the program. Taylor, what up? Hey, Cam. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And hey, why don't we start with Auburn, those Tigers, and an interesting season (laughs) so far, shall we say, not typical of Auburn, but yeah, let's get to the root of the issue or issues here, Taylor. What's going wrong so far this season? Man, you are just diving in head first. I'm going right at it. No, (laughs) no cushion for the blow either. No softballs. Um, Yeah, you said it. I I mean, this has not been a season, you know, I don't think there has been such a dramatic season at Auburn in a long time. And yes, there were rumblings around Gus Malzahn and people were calling for his job for quite some time before, you know, the reality actually happened. But a year like this, is something different. And it's been honestly, as, as an alum and as someone who has stayed around the program for a while, it's been upsetting. It's Mm. been hard because I feel like the allure of Auburn has been clouded a good bit by all of this. And now, you know, you're talking about the, honestly, what the media is calling inevitability that Brian Harson will no longer be at Auburn by the end of season dude, we're halfway through. These guys still have to take the field and continue an entire season with everyone basically discussing the season as if it's done and already in the rearview mirror. It's been very challenging, even for the people still involved, but I honestly think the writing has been on the wall for a long time, and now we're all just talking about it. So it's the flip side of the fact that we all get to talk about things so freely. You know, it's not always pretty, and that certainly has been the case for Auburn. I think that the issues are on field. I think, unfortunately, the offseason was crippled by things being discussed off field, and that didn't make anyone look good. But right mm-hmm. now, I actually think that these conversations are warranted because you are seeing regressions on the field. This is not a team that is seeing progress. This isn't a coaching staff that seems to have a plan. So that's where people get up in arms, and I think rightfully so. So I think all in all, it wasn't a good fit. And I think that you're seeing the results of that on field. We have talent. We have, you know, guys that certainly have have been part of this program and understand the Auburn way. And somehow their craft is not getting better. And you have to attribute that to coaching. I, I think the lack of discipline on the field, which supposedly was the bread and butter of this staff coming to Auburn, also says a lot. So the issues, I think, are on field. I I don't subscribe to attacking someone's character. I don't subscribe to creating drama in their personal lives. And I won't discuss any of that because I don't think it's, it's fair. I think yep. you analyze and evaluate based on what's on field. And what's on field is not up to par for Auburn football. 
you know, I remember when you guys were covering, you and Jason, of course, the Gus Malzahn exit and all that stuff. And there was a lot of excitement around Brian Harson. So mm-hmm. as a fan and also as an analyst, is it frustrating a little bit? Because like there was so much energy with him coming in and yeah. now we're already talking about him possibly getting fired. You know, I think the excitement coming in was the excitement of what could be. I don't think it was excitement of what he actually was because no one knew. Hmm. You bring in someone who has no ties to the SEC, no ties to Auburn. And we had been with Gus for so many years, even before he was head coach, he was on staff as coordinator. So there was such a familiarity there. And sometimes, you know, with familiarity, what's the saying? You either... Um, die the hero or you live long enough to become the villain. The dark that was night, kind of, out. Yes, that was kind of the narrative, unfortunately. I don't think that Gus should be, you know, looked down upon because he did so many great things while he was at Auburn, but it was, it was getting old. It was, uh, you know, rinse and repeat. And so I think it was more excitement of something new and, mm-hmm. and different. It, it felt like, and I think I tweeted this when, when Gus got fired, it felt like a breakup that you knew was coming and both parties felt like it was the right thing to do, but you still had good times and you felt like you were a good couple at, a at one point in time, tweet. you know, <laughs> but you get into a new relationship and it's exciting, right? And there's potential of what it could be and that it could be better than your last relationship. But you have to really evaluate the counterpart, right? And at the time, I don't think anyone really knew. I think that there was hope and there was excitement that it was the shakeup we all needed. Was it a proper evaluation based on, you know, the the resume and the qualifications coming in? It's hard to say because we were so unaware of what we were actually getting. And I think, you know, SEC people will always think very highly of the SEC, right? It's it's in our nature. But I think in this situation, it, rightfully so, it is a different narrative. It's a different world and it, it's a different expectation. And if you don't buy into that, if you're not a sponge that really soaks up and tries to learn what it's all about, you will get run over very quickly. And I think we have seen that. Yeah, and we're not talking about the MAC here. We're talking about the SEC, where you have teams that are surging right now. Taylor, Tennessee, Ole Miss, we'll get to those teams in a little bit. But if you had to open up the crystal ball here a little bit, so two-part question, okay? (laughs) Okay. Does Brian Harson get fired this year? And if so, who is your dream replacement at head coach? Okay. Um, I think, yes, Brian Harson does get let go at Auburn. Uh, if you had asked me a couple weeks ago, I thought it was going to happen in season. I'm actually hearing more now that it will happen at the end of season. Um, I think even given the way that the Georgia game unfolded and Missouri, like opportunities have been there, but the buyout is substantial. Let's call a spade a spade. So sure. I think at this point, they probably wait until the end of season, but no, I do not. And at this point, I don't even think there's anything he could do the remainder of season to change change that. I don't even think if you win the iron bowl, your fate changes, but I actually, and I feel like I might be in a minority here. I really like Luke fickle. I like his fit at Auburn. I know that Jeff Brom is, is a big name and people want to talk about Dion and people want to talk about Hugh freeze. I don't think Hugh freeze is a real possibility because of the fact that from what I have heard, I don't think the president is keen on that. And obviously a new athletic director still has to be hired. And I don't think the athletic director's first move is going to be something that the president doesn't agree with. Yeah. So I, I think that a lot of 
honestly, a lot of guys would have to not work for Hugh Freeze to be the guy. That's my personal take on everything. Um, Dion, I, I personally don't think that that will end up coming to fruition either. I think that there's still more to prove. And as we saw this past year, without something proven, I don't know that Auburn's going to take a chance on another guy. I think they're going to want someone that's solid. I personally like Luke Fickle. I think Luke Fickle is proven in the fact that he took a group of five team to the playoff. I mean, what else do you want to see in terms of development? And I think that development is a big piece of what Auburn needs right now, because yes, recruiting and certainly recruiting has fallen off in the Harson era that you can look at the numbers and see that. So recruiting is going to be a piece, but if you keep guys like Cadillac Williams and Zach Etheridge on staff, like you're, you're going to be able to compete and Auburn, Auburn is a brand and and recruiting can kind of help itself in that way. Auburn needs a developer. And I think that Luke Fickle knows how to develop. He's not getting top tier talent at Cincinnati. They're getting good talent. Don't get me wrong. And obviously their move is, is going to add to that, but he has brought in talent. Sure. But he's developed them to the level to where they can make a playoff. And I think Auburn needs something like that. He's a younger guy. And I, I actually covered a Cincinnati game before they were at the prominence that they are now. And I immediately was so impressed with his interaction with his players because there was such a level of discipline. This, this is a no nonsense guy, but you have to find the balance as head coach, especially in today's age of transfer portal NIL, where the players actually have a good bit of power. You have to find a balance of discipline and being the head honcho but also relatability and relationship with your players there has to be a respect factor there and he had it and I saw it years ago before Cincinnati became you know discussed in top four and so I think Luke Fickle actually has the makings of a really really solid power five coach and he brings with him a lot of energy and excitement and I think that Auburn will need that to revitalize things as well Luke Fickle, people are talking. Let's see what happens here. <laughs> I think number two, it's got to be Jason Campbell. I mean, right? I mean, J. Let's get him on coach. the list. Yeah. <laughs> let's start that movement. Ole Miss, Auburn, this will be tough. Top 10 team, of course, are the Rebels. What do we do here? What do we think about this matchup? Can Auburn maybe stun in Oxford? No, we pray, Cam. That's what we do. Um, Exactly. (laughs) You know, it's, and I'll tell you why, not only because Auburn is having the season they're having, but because Ole Miss is having the season they're having. Yeah, how about them right now? I I love this Ole Miss team, and I love Lane Kiffin. I think that he is a fantastic coach. People also want to talk about him in the Auburn conversation. I don't, I don't necessarily think that he leaves Oxford. Uh, If he did, like, I love it. I I love, I think he is such a smart offensive minded guy. And we found success with that in early Gus Malzahn era. And I think that Robbie Ashford is a fantastic athlete. And we have a quarterback that if developed and um, fine-tuned by the right guy will be a stellar athlete. And so putting the right pieces there, you know, is essential. But back to Ole Miss, I love what they're putting together this year. And honestly, this has been built, you know, this isn't an immediate thing. If you yeah. want to talk immediacy, we'll talk Tennessee. But I think Lane Kiffin, there's been a process here, right? And that's that's a word that a lot of coaches love to use, but it really has been. And I think he he kind of brought in an I don't want to say arrogance, but he brought in this aura around Ole Miss football that was so different than what was had. You know, obviously they had Matt Luke in there for a little while and and Hugh before that. And I think Lane brought such a new 
swag, dare I say? L- Lane Kiffin would probably say swag master word, Lane. But, All right. <laughs> but I think he did. And I think his players play with that. I mean, Matt Corral was one of my favorite college football players to cover. And he kind of took on that personality. And so I think what Lane has done at Ole Miss, you see in the way they play the game and, and they're high energy and they're confident and they're in your face, specifically on the offensive side of the ball. I think that Auburn's defense certainly has bright spots. Uh, unfortunately, one of them was Eculiota, who's out for the rest of the season with injury. Huge blow. Mm. You know, Derek Hall and Owen Papo and Nehemiah Pritchett, these guys that have the makings to be an incredible Auburn defense. And at times this season, they have certainly been that. But they also see the field a lot because of our inadequacies on the offensive side. And so wear and tear and injuries start to play a factor and you're coming off a a very disheartening loss to Georgia. And then you head into an environment that really feels like they are clicking. So it doesn't, it's not a good formula for Auburn. I don't think that they um, come away with the win. I would love to see it, but um, I definitely think it'll be hotty toddy once again. It'll be quite a game. That is for sure. Yeah. That team is really impressive. Talking to Taylor Davis right here on Lock It In, college football reporter. Taylor, are you ever actually able to go to these Auburn football games given your work schedule? <laughs> no, sadly. <laughs> well, okay. So week one this year, I actually had a Friday night game. I had Duke's opener on Friday night. And Auburn's game was Saturday at like 2.30, I believe. So I was able to go to that one. Now, granted, it was, who was that? Mercer, I believe. So it wasn't necessarily a fair representation. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, my high school. No, totally kidding. But um, I did get to go to that one. And man, it is refreshing to just get to go watch as a fan. I always joke with people in the industry. I'm like, we got into this industry because we love sports so much, right? Well, now it's kind of a catch 22 because I'm like, how awesome that I get to work in something in an industry that I love so much. But part of why I loved it was the experience, which mm-hmm. I never get anymore. So mm-hmm. it's kind of the flip side of the coin. But um, yeah, I got to go to that one. And then I always make sure to watch it back on TV throughout the week. There you go. Awesome. Glad that you actually got to get to one too. I was always curious about <laughs> yeah, that. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll yeah. take it. All right. Let's broaden the scope. So the rest of the SEC here, we talked about Ole Miss. Of course, you've got Alabama. You've got Georgia. you got Tennessee, who you alluded to earlier. Which team has impressed you the most? They're all undefeated right now. Tennessee. Okay. I I love this team. I Josh Heupel is single-handedly fanning the flames for fan bases that think a program can be turned around overnight. He is proving that it can. However, what you're inheriting is certainly a big piece of that. Don't get me wrong, but year two, and I think this Tennessee team could walk away with a win against Alabama this weekend. Oh, I think I do. I think, and look at the recruiting aspect of this thing. Certainly it was there because again, Tennessee is a brand, but the development has not been there. Hendon Hooker couldn't do anything at Virginia Tech. And now you put him in this situation with this coaching staff and he is playing lights out ball. He is such an effective quarterback. He is such a good game manager. And it is a testament to the development and the right pieces being around you. Because if you looked at him and looked at his tape from Virginia Tech, it is night and day different. Mm. And what Josh Heupel has done at that program, and look, this is a fan base that is easy to, you know, garner support from. They have wanted this Tennessee to be back for a long time. Sometimes they have thought they were there when they weren't. I'm just saying they can be a little bit 
optimistic in times that they shouldn't, but they're there and they are fully supportive of that tee. And I think that that helps the head coach for sure. But what he has done in this span of time is incredible. And I, my hat's off to what he has done. So I think they are explosive. They are a fun offense to watch. Now I will say, you know, everyone wants to talk so much about how they beat LSU this past week and warranted, don't get me wrong. It was incredible, but they did what they should have done. I don't think LSU is that good of a football team. Clearly. Right. Right. I don't think, I mean, they went toe to toe with Auburn. It it took some magic. Honestly, Auburn lost that game more than LSU won that game. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that we can necessarily match up Tennessee and LSU and then take as much as we are. I think this week will be their fair test. And can they live up to the moment? And do they have the magic that we have seen time and time again, Alabama has. And that also goes down to coaching. Saban has his guys prepared down to the wire. You do what you have to do to get the win. Does Tennessee have that? Because really contested moments are when you see the strength of a team and you will see plenty of them this week, especially if Bryce is able to go. But I have been so impressed by Tennessee because I think the whole narrative of the story, do I think they're a better team than Alabama and Georgia? Not quite yet, but I am most impressed by them because of the entire narrative, because of what they've been up against. And by the fact that Josh Heupel has gotten them to this point in year two, incredibly respectable. And you think back, to 2018, the head coaching surge, the uh, controversies, Ooh. the dumpster fire that that program exactly. was. I mean, just a laughing stock. And now they are a top tier team. We'll see what happens this weekend yep. with Alabama. It Running... gives Auburn fans hope. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Grass is always greener, <laughs> right? That's the theme I'm catching here with these so coaches. True. Yeah. So, so true. It's also the theme for players entering the transfer portal at such a high rate. But right. Different college here, football these there. days. That is for yep. sure. So, the tectonic plates, geography term, if you will, seem to be shifting a okay. little bit here in college football, Taylor, when you have UCLA, USC going to the Big Ten, Oklahoma and Texas going mm-hmm. to the SEC. So really the question is, what is the future of the Pac-12 and the Big 12? And is there a future? Is there like a three-tiered system that's going to happen here where it's like Big Ten, SEC, the rest of the Power Five, and then the Group of Five, something like that? It's definitely possible. I have throughout conversations this season, you know, leaned more toward the possibility of more of a a power four. Mm -hmm. I think the PAC 12 is probably the weak link in that. And I think that that'll probably reshuffle. There were certainly talks of the ACC kind of uniting forces with someone else, but after, you know, being involved in the ACC throughout the season, I don't think the ACC has any intention of that. I feel like they're good where they are. They kind of like this situation. They're actually moving their conference office down to Charlotte. And I think that that's, they're, they're kind of immersed in, in that right now. I think the SEC adding Oklahoma and Texas, and then obviously what UCLA and USC, which make it make sense uh, from your fan perspective, like like, (laughs) what are you going to get? I mean, granted they struggle to get fans in home games so i guess they're not Especially too concerned UCLA. about that yeah it, oh my gosh it's it bad. is sad it's it bad. is real sad especially since like they're coming on like they're putting together good games so it's definitely disappointing and you can't convince me that los angeles is not a college football town i mean look at years past the brands that usc has been right. anyway tangent but i I am having a hard time with the conference realignment i'm not gonna lie just from a structural perspective and I don't want us to get away from the essence of college football. And I don't want 
conferences to no longer matter. And I don't want these rivalries to try and be forced. You know, we did that already a couple times, kind of remaking, you know, Missouri LSU. They don't care. You know, happen. like they don't, th- that's not a rivalry. And we're trying so hard to, to kind of force our own narrative based on, you know, what works for money. And I think we're going to lose some of the core passion around it. So I, I don't want us to get too far away for, from it and base it off TV deals and monetary value, because I think that we will let go of some games that really capture the essence and the passion of college football. So um, do I think that we're going to deviate from a power five? Yes, I do. I I think that there are going to be a couple and my bet would be on pack 12 yeah. that just can't hang anymore with the current structure and the SEC the rich are getting richer. You know, I, I think obviously Oklahoma is kind of having a down year, but adding, you know, those two brands, Oklahoma will be back. I mean, give Venables a minute to kind of be a first time head coach. You know what I mean? Sure. And, and to get that thing going. And then Texas is, is Texas and they're certainly finding their footing. So the sec is, is just going to restock and reload and, and be at the top of college football. I don't think that that changes. And then obviously big 10 and big 12 be, having the brands in it that they do as well. The Pac-12 losing two of their biggest, arguably. I know Oregon and and Utah want to say otherwise, but no. Um, USC and UCLA departing, I think it's going to create a ripple effect and there will be other moves. But I think in the near future, I would lean more toward it being four than three. Okay. We shall see. Stay tuned, folks, on that one. Astute analysis, as always. Taylor Davis joining <laughs> Lock It In with Cam Rogers. Taylor, I had like five, seven more questions, something like that. This interview has been great. Thank you so much for carving out some time here. How can the people follow you and find you? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Taylor Beth Davis. When you have a pretty common first and last name, you have to use your middle name. Mm-hmm. So Taylor Beth Davis on both. And then like you have alluded to, Jason Campbell and I have an Auburn podcast here on Believe that is at, no, that is Believe in Everything Auburn. We were Auburn football for a while. Now yep. we're everything Auburn. So I have to make sure I get it straight. So we're Believe in Everything Auburn, Spotify, podcasts, occasionally YouTube if I get up and put makeup on. So you can find us on there. <laughs> Taylor Davis joining Lock It In with Cam Rogers. Keep it right here. I predict every single NFL week six game right here on Lock It In. And welcome back to Lock It In with Cam Rogers. Let's talk about my NFL week six picks. My record so far this year, straight up, I am 46, 33, and one against the spread, 37 and 43. Not so good, but I feel good about my picks here this week. So let's get to it. Buccaneers, Steelers. The Steelers are getting nine points at home in this matchup. This game features two teams who stink at covering the number. The Steelers are 0-7 ATS in their last seven games against NFC opponents. The Bucs are 2-4 ATS in their last six games. Of course, the Steelers are starting rookie quarterback Kenny Pickett. And right now, it's not really a dream scenario for him. A, because his defense stinks, and B, The run game is non-existent. The offensive line cannot run block, and something is going on with Najee Harris. He's struggling right now. The Bucs' D is still good. They rank fourth in opponent yards per play, while the Steelers are just 24th in that category. The Bucs' offense has struggled on a per-play basis, 
But on the other end, the Steelers need to throw to actually have success. They don't run the football all that much because they know they can't. And the Bucs are really good in the back end. I think the Bucs cover this number. They failed to do so last week against the Falcons, but that's a little bit different divisional game. The Steelers are going to be outmatched in this matchup. Buccaneers cover minus nine. Bengals and Saints. The Saints are getting one point at home. The Bengals are an interesting team. They are not the AFC champions that we saw last year, but they are 11-2 and ATS in their last 13 games. They rank second to last in yards per play so far this year, though. Now, I did see some good things, especially on defense from Cincinnati against the Ravens last week. It looks like Jameis Winston is going to play at quarterback for the Saints, which actually may be a bad thing because Andy Dalton has been pretty good in relief at the quarterback position on offense, the saints seventh in yards per play on defense, their second and third down percentage. That said, I did watch the Bengals closely last week, of course, playing my Baltimore Ravens. And if you have Jameis Winston at quarterback on the other end, the Bengals defense should play well, create some turnovers. This is a toss up, but I think the Bengals win this game. They cover minus one, they need this victory big time to really stay in the hunt with the Baltimore Ravens in that division. Jaguars, Colts, the Jaguars are getting two points on the road in this one. The Jags are coming off a bizarre loss to the Texans, so their losing streak continues there. But we know about the Jaguars and their success against Indianapolis. The Jags are four and two straight up against the Colts in their last six. Matt Ryan and this Colts offensive line has been terrible. Ryan leads the league in interceptions with seven and fumbles with 11 and has been sacked an NFL high 21 times already. That is bad. The Colts are also really bad against the number one and six ATS in their last seven games against an NFC South opponent. I am utilizing a strategy I built on the Alloy app for this one. I love the Jaguars on the money line to win this game outright. I have no faith in the Colts. Even if they beat the Broncos on the road, forget about it. The Jaguars win this game outright. Patriots and Browns. The Browns are laying three in this one. The Patriots just blanked the number one scoring offense last week with a rookie quarterback on the other side. That's pretty impressive, but that's what Belichick can do, right? He can have those really good defensive game plans. Now, Cleveland, 6-11, ATS as a home favorite since the start of 2020. New England is 5-6, ATS as a road underdog since 2020. Interesting trends there. The Browns are really good at running the football. Pretty impressive what they're doing right now. The Patriots can run the football too, though. Ramadre Stevenson has been great at the running back position. And I'm utilizing the road grader strategy, thanks to my friends at Alloy. And look, I think the Patriots win this game outright. Bailey Zappi, Mac Jones, it doesn't matter to me. I can't trust the Browns. I trust Bill Belichick in this coaching matchup here. They have a good offensive game plan. And don't underestimate 
Bill Belichick's knowledge of Jacoby Brissett at the quarterback position. I think that matters here. Patriots win outright. Jets and Packers. The Packers are laying seven points at home. Should we be believers in the Jets now? For beating a third-string quarterback last week? Not quite yet. But they have been impressive so far this year. Not the same for the Packers. Meanwhile, they just lost to the Giants in London. The defense is just average 14th in opponent yards per play. 21st, by the way, in opponent red zone touchdown scoring. So they're not bending, but breaking. I mean, I don't know what's going on here with the Packers, but here's the deal. Zach Wilson, Brees Hall, the Jets on the offensive side have been effective. If Brian Hoyer and Bailey Zappi can cover at Lambeau Field, I think Zach Wilson and the Jets can do so too. Jets cover plus seven, Packers win outright. Ravens and Giants. The Giants are home dogs plus five and this one riding high after their victory over the Packers in London. The Giants are four and one ATS so far this season. The only way the Giants win this game outright is if they quicken the game and run effectively but the Ravens defense they're starting to show up a little bit and I think they will this week as well at MetLife Stadium here's the big difference explosiveness through the air the Ravens are top 10 in yards per pass the Giants are 30th in the NFL I like the Ravens to win this game by a touchdown The five number doesn't do it for me with the Giants. If it was seven and a half, I would probably go in the Giants' direction, but that's not the case. Ravens win. Ravens cover minus five. Vikings and Dolphins. The Dolphins are home dogs, plus three in this matchup. A couple of unknowns here, really with the quarterback position in particular for the Dolphins. It sounds like Tua is practicing this week but he's not going to play. So it's either going to be Skylar Thompson or Teddy Bridgewater. The Vikings are one and four ATS in their last five games. The Dolphins are eight and oh straight up in their last eight home games. Both teams have been really good on the offensive side while the defenses are horrible. So I think the over is probably a safe bet here. I don't feel confident in this pick just because I don't know the quarterback situation with Miami. As of this recording, though, I will roll with the Vikings minus three. But if Teddy Bridgewater does start, I will go Miami plus three. Vikings win this game outright. But for now, Vikings cover minus three. San Francisco and Atlanta, the Falcons, home dogs, plus five and a half. And this one, it's the battle of some of the best covering teams in the NFL. The 49ers are five and one ATS in their last six games as at least a six-point favorite. The Falcons are five and oh ATS so far this year. It would have been totally understandable if the 49ers failed to cover last week against the Panthers on the road, potential trap game, but what do they do? They blow out the Panthers. And the 49ers are staying east this week as well. So with that, no travel concerns or anything along those lines. What Atlanta does well, run the football, San Francisco does well at defending their first in opponent yards per rush and second in opponent rushing yards per game. Give me the 49ers to cover minus five and a half.
Panthers and Rams. The Rams are laying 10 and a half in this one. The Panthers have been a dumpster fire. They have lost their last two games by a combined 32 points and, of course, recently fired Matt Rule, their head coach. So Steve Wilkes now steps in as the interim head coach. They will be starting quarterback P.J. Walker because of Baker Mayfield's injury. So things are not great right now with Carolina. Meanwhile, the Rams have hardly looked like the Super Bowl champions from last year. And they have showed me nothing that they can blow out an inferior team. So with that, I think the Panthers actually hang around in this one. They cover that plus 10 and a half number. The Rams get the victory, but probably won't look impressive doing so. So Panthers cover, Rams win outright. Cardinals and Seahawks. The Seahawks, home dogs, plus three. And this offense is rolling right now. They've scored 23, 48, and 32 points in three straight weeks. Geno Smith is cooking third among starting quarterbacks with 8.3 yards per attempt, leading the NFL, by the way, in completion percentage. The Seahawks' defense has looked horrible, but the Cardinals have been starting slow all year long on the offensive side, and I really don't know what their identity is. Again, I'm just confused about what they're trying to do on offense. Granted, they are 10-2 against the spread, in their last 12 away games, so keep that in mind. But with that, I think Seattle wins this game outright on the money line. I think the lack of running game for Arizona is going to bite them a little bit. So with that, Seattle gets it done. Okay, game of the week, Bills and Chiefs. The Chiefs are actually getting three points at home. Patrick Mahomes is an underdog. This should be really fun. This is going to be one of those classic games where the team with the ball last ends up winning. Of course, that was the case in the divisional round last year. The books must really love the Buffalo Bills, and rightfully so. They are the best team in the NFL. They lead the NFL in yards per play at 6.7, while also giving up only 4.4 yards per play, which is the second best mark in the National Football League. The Chiefs' defense, especially in the secondary, is concerning for me. 31st in the NFL in opponent completion percentage. If you're giving me three points with a Patrick Mahomes-led football team, I'm taking those points. But the Buffalo Bills get their revenge. They win this game outright in a very close battle. But the Chiefs cover plus three. Sunday night football, Dallas, Philadelphia. This will be fun. The Eagles are laying four and a half in this one. Could this potentially be an NFC championship preview? I mean, honestly, it could. The Cowboys have won three straight against the Eagles, but these Eagles are a different football team this year. We don't know who's going to start at quarterback for Dallas as of this recording. I'm leaning toward Cooper Rush, but we shall see. This is the best defense, though, that the Eagles have faced all year long. Both teams have fabulous pass rushes and really good secondaries. Remember the Eagles squeaked by the Cardinals last week, though. They needed a missed kick on the Arizona side to squeak by there. So keep that in mind. It's a divisional game, and I think these Cowboys can really hang around and probably stun Philadelphia. That's right. I'm putting my stock into Cooper Rush or Dak Prescott. 
depending on what happens there. And Dallas wins this game in Philadelphia. Again, nobody in the NFL is going undefeated anymore. Not in the salary cap era. The Eagles have to lose a football game at some point. If they lose to a really good Dallas team, that is understandable. The Cowboys get it done. They stun the Eagles on the road. There you go, my NFL Week 6 picks right here on Lock It In. Coming up next, my best bets for the Zozo Championship on the PGA Tour. Keep it right here. Lock It In with Cam Rogers. Welcome back to Lock It In with Cam Rogers. Wrapping up the hour here as we discuss this week's PGA Tour event, the Zozo Championship in Japan. Going to be a fun tournament. Xander Shoffley is the clear favorite along with Sun J.M. Those are two guys to watch out for here this week. I am providing my pick to win here. For the Zozo Championship, the outright selection is Siwoo Kim to get it done. Coming off a ball-striking clinic in Las Vegas, finished T8 at that tournament last week. And he found his putter, gaining over two strokes putting. That tells me that that momentum is going to carry into the Zozo Championship this week. I think Siwoo Kim typically has really good win equity. He's a proven winner on the PGA Tour over the last 24 rounds. He's 13th in this field, tee to green, and fourth around the green as well. Time to bet on Siwoo Kim as he is riding that hot putter. Top 10, Cameron Young, absolute bomber off the tee, tied with Sun J.M. at number one in this field in strokes gained off the tee. Over the last 24 rounds, had a great finish to last season. He's a big game hunter, too. Played really well in the majors last year. Number two in this field in driving distance. He crushes par fives. Cameron Young for a top 10 here this week. He could be this year's Scotty Scheffler, by the way. Davis Riley for a top 20. We know his ceiling is high. Top 20 at the Sanderson Farms Championship, makes a ton of birdies, eighth in this field in birdie or better percentage. No cut this week at the Zozo Championship. So you are guaranteed four rounds of golf. Top 20 in this field in driving distance as well. So Davis Riley for a top 20 there. This has been Lock It In with Cam Rogers right here on Believe. Follow me on Twitter at Mr. Rogers 99 Good luck to your bets this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. I will talk to you next week, breaking down week seven of the National Football League and, of course, plenty of more college football and golf content to come. This has been Lock It In with Cam Rogers. I will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.